0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the In Focus for June 4th, 2020, here on Truth Be Told. This is your breakdown of what's happening in the world 15 minute fix, low key, all that stuff. This is Truth Be Told. So, obviously, I'm sure you're seeing this on Twitter and Instagram around the country. Millions of people are protesting police brutality and systemic racism after the death of George Floyd. For those of you who really don't know what happened to George Floyd, he was a 46-year-old black male who was accused of trying to use a $20 counterfeit bill at a local deli in Minnesota. The people who were working at that deli called 911, and of course, the police arrived. 17 minutes later, the officer, Derek Chauvin, had his knee pinned on Mr. Floyd's neck with the help of three other officers. I truly urge you to watch the video yourself. I can't explain to you what it looks like or what it feels like even to see this video and and, and see him scream out, you know, I can't breathe, I can't get up and call for his mom. That was just a recap, and I'm sure that you've already seen the video, and I'm sure that you're seeing the videos and pictures of protesters across the country, so I won't describe those to you. But for this in focus, here is what the hell is happening. First and foremost, just last night, the charges against the officers involved in Floyd's death were upped. The charges, you know, got more harsh, more punitive. Derek Chauvin, the officer who pinned Mr. Floyd to the ground with a knee for nearly nine minutes while he pleaded, I can't breathe, was originally charged with third-degree murder, which is one of the least harsh charges for killing somebody. CNN says that a higher murder charge would require prosecutors, you know, the people who are trying to put Chauvin behind bars, would require those prosecutors to prove an intent to kill. Uh, Originally, they did not believe that Derek Chauvin had an intent to kill. That's why he was charged with only a third-degree murder. However, now he is being charged with committing a second-degree murder. NPR says that the second-degree murder charge carries a maximum penalty of 40 years in prison. The third-degree charge, which he was originally charged with, only carries a 25-year maximum sentence. That doesn't mean that he's going to get 40 years in prison. That just is what the maximum sentence is. The charge against Chauvin is categorized as a second-degree murder unintentional while committing a felony. So according to the Law of Minnesota... You have to actually plan, like you have to wake up in the morning or the day before and decide that you're going to kill someone, you're going to kill this person and plan how you're going to do that, plan the how, what, when, where. Um, And that is how you would be charged with a first degree murder. That's what a first degree murder is. Second degree murder, you have to intend for death to be the result. So maybe you didn't necessarily plan it, but while you were in the act of doing something, you had that thought or that intention to kill somebody. For a second-degree felony murder, which is what Chauvin is being charged with, you have to intend the felony and then death be the result. So in this case, the felony intended was physical assault, so pinning uh, Mr. Floyd down to the ground with you know his knee. That was physical assault. And the result of that felony, of that physical assault, was death. So death doesn't necessarily have to be the goal of the assailant. But it has to be the result of the felony, which was the goal of the assailant in this case. So it's definitely really confusing, you know, with what is happening with these charges. And here at Truth Be Told, we will follow these developments closely. You know, but I, I think everyone's glad that these charges have gotten more punitive. I think if you watch the video, I think it's pretty clear that Mr. Chauvin was in the wrong um, and that the situation did not warrant um You know, George Floyd being pinned to the ground, especially after he called out, you know, that he couldn't breathe, that he couldn't get up. It's pretty horrific. Um, But in addition to Chauvin, the three other officers were all named in criminal complaints. They are Tao, and I'm going to pronounce these names wrong, so please forgive me, Tao, J. Alexander Kyung, and Thomas K. Lane. All four police officers were fired one day after Floyd died on Memorial Day. Tao, Kyung, and Lane each face two counts of aiding and abetting, so two counts of, of helping. So one, they are charged with helping s- someone commit second-degree murder, and one for helping someone commit second-degree manslaughter. The charge charges carry maximum prison sentences of 40 and 10 years, respectively. That's what NPR says. That's my source. Now, I talked about earlier the widespread protests happening right now across the country, Even though in every major city, I'm from Cleveland, and here in Cleveland, there's even a curfew. Um, These curfews are going into place in all these cities across the country, from Seattle to L.A. to New York to Baltimore. Um, You know, and and the police are responding with tear gas, rubber bullets, and full-scale riot gear. But these protests have undoubtedly become violent. There has been looting. There has been physical assault. There has been damage to property. And whether or not you believe that the police are causing these situations or escalating these situations, everyone agrees that these protests have become violent. Some people agree that this violence has become justified, some haven't. And in response to this violence, President Trump has threatened to use the Insurrection Act of 1807, which I know sounds really big and sounds confusing, but it really the law just authorizes a United States president to authorize the military or deploy the military in time of emergencies. And the law was updated in 2006 to include natural disasters and terrorist attacks. But it hasn't really, you know, been used in that long, right? It wasn't used in those protests in response to Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice. And to be clear, it is not being used now. Trump did say, though, Quote, "If a city or state refuses to take actions that are necessary to defend the life and property of their residents, then I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them." End quote. That's what the president said. So this obviously has raised questions about the First Amendment: if it would still be protected, right? If your right to protest would still be protected in the face of the military. And obviously, this is really scary. I mean, you're pitting the military against American citizens. And in my opinion, this would just undoubtedly escalate the situation, right? Because if you're not only putting this tense relationship between the police and the protesters and the police, you know, who are tasked with protecting your right to freedom of speech, upholding the Constitution, you know, they are tasked with this obligation and now add the military on top of that. It's going to make it more tense. And I believe that it's going to make both sides, the police, the military, and the protesters, respond with even more violence. And governors have said that, you know, the National Guard is sufficient and you know local police are sufficient at, at curbing the violence of these protests. Um, but I do believe that deploying the military right now as these protests are happening right now. And of course, this could rapidly change, you know, by the time I upload this. But as of right now, I believe that this, you know, deployment of the military would be extremely detrimental to not only the protection of your right to speak, but also to these protesters who the majority of them are completely peaceful. But, you know, just to be fair, This act, you know, the ability for the president to deploy the military has been used for good. And I do think because of how it's been used in the past in good ways, I do think that it is a necessary power to control abuses by the states or or negligence by the states. It was used to enforce federally mandated desegregation in uh, 1957 when President Eisenhower called on the U.S. Army's 101st Airborne Division to escort the Little Rock Nine students, and if, for those of you who don't know who those students were, they were nine black students who were trying to integrate into the all-white local public school, and the governor of Arkansas deployed the Arkansas National Guide um, to try and prevent the students from entering the school. President Eisenhower said, no, you can't do that, and he called on the U.S. military army's 101st Airborne Division, to escort those nine black students into high school. John F. Kennedy also invoked the act in 1962 and 63 to send federal troops in Mississippi and Alabama to enforce civil rights laws. In 1992, President George H.W. Bush responded to a request from the governor of California to help stop rioting in L.A. after the acquittal of the four Los Angeles Police Department officers who brutally beat Rodney King. You know, but in conclusion, I do think that it does raise several constitutional questions, right? Is it legal? I mean, this, would this be a gross abuse of presidential power in a time where it's really not an emergency, right? These people are protesting, um, and it, it's not it's not necessarily to the same scale as some of the emergencies that we've seen, you know, in the past, you know, like in L.A., Um and i don't necessarily believe that this rioting warrants the military effort you know but this does raise several constitutional questions and i do see the other side of the argument right that there are businesses being torn apart there are families being torn apart there's homes that are being destroyed public streets that are being destroyed and we have to protect those areas and i agree i agree that people who have worked so hard for their business in some of these cities you know especially local businesses that i am you know very very fond of and I love here in my hometown have been completely destroyed by these riots. So I do believe that there has to be some sort of protection. But as of right now, you know, whether or not the military needs to get involved is definitely a question. And, and Republican senators have disagreed with Trump. And we'll, we'll get into that later about who is disagreeing and agreeing with Trump. You know, um, back to what I was saying, it raises constitutional questions because these protesters, most of whom are peaceful. You know, a lot of people agree that the police officers, governors, Republicans and Democrats, mayors, Republicans and Democrats, pretty much all agree that the majority of these protesters are peaceful. There's just a handful of people who are, you know, getting a little bit out of hand, getting a a little bit, maybe a lot crazy. Um, But can these 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 protesters who are exercising their peaceful freedom of speech be protected if the military gets involved? Several people have denounced this action of the president, like I said before, including military officials and even people who were once part of Trump's administration, like General Mattis, who said that um, this would be inappropriate for the military to turn on the Constitution and assault people who are exercising their First Amendment right. Several Democratic governors have also said that they don't need this, that they don't need the military. But Republican senators and congressmen and politicians, congresswomen, they have all come out in support of this and said that we need to take whatever measures are necessary to protect our citizens. So it's definitely something, you know, that I think that you need to have your own opinion on. Um, And I definitely think that having this, you know, deployment of the military, at least even this threat, really does prove that Donald Trump wants to be seen as this president of law and order and a wartime president. And if that's the president that you want, then that's who you should vote for. Um, if, if if you think that you know law and order and having a more militant approach is an inhumane approach or even a racist approach, then don't vote for him. That's a decision that you have to make yourself. And that's not a decision that I can make for you. Um, so the next part in our episode today of the news is about the autopsy report of George Floyd. I know we're, we're still talking about George Floyd, and I'm going to upload an episode today or tomorrow uh, talking about the coronavirus and if the coronavirus is still happening, um, and it is. But right now we're going to go back to the George Floyd protests. So the autopsy report from the Happen County Medical Examiner's Office, which is you know the, the medical examiner, the forensic pathologist from that county in Minnesota where George Floyd was um, killed, concludes that the death was the cause of... Um, you know, I'm not really going to pronounce these words right, and I can assure you that someone someone is listening to this right now and is going to cringe when I say this, but the medical examiner said that he died, George Floyd died from cardiopulmonary arrest complicating law enforcement subdual restraint and neck compression. That finalization, that that statement concludes that the the death, right, George Floyd's death was actually due to heart failure. Um, not you know strangulation or, or uh, asphyxiation, right? That that choking almost um, from that neck compression. However, the Floyd family hired an independent examiner um, who concluded that death was from asphyxiation from s- asphyxiation from sustained pressure. So that coroner said that no, 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 George Floyd died from you know having a knee on his neck. The medical examiner's report from happen County, though, does not mention asphyxiation. However, according to prosecutors, in the charging documents, so the documents filed against those officers um, claimed that early results, that initially uh, the medical examiner could not reveal any physical findings that supported a diagnosis of traumatic asphy- asphyxia or strangulation. So choking. Um, that's what was the prosecutors said. The medical examiner's report also details, you know, force injuries to the face. So, you know, probably from being pushed onto the ground, you know, there was cuts and bruises to the head, to the face and the upper lip, as well as the shoulders, hands, elbows, and there was bruising of the wrists that were consistent with wearing handcuffs. Um, it does also say that Floyd did test positive for coronavirus on April 3rd. Uh, nasal swab after George had died confirmed that he had COVID-19. The report notes that because a positive result for coronavirus can persist for four weeks, at, for weeks after the disease has resolved, um, the result, quote, most likely reflects asymptomatic but persistent positively from previous infection, end quote. I will mention here, though, that George Floyd did have drugs in his system, he had fentanyl, meth, uh, weed. The toxicology report from the autopsy showed that Floyd had cannabis, fentanyl, and methamphetamine in his system when he died. Floyd also had heart disease, hypertension, and sickle cell treat, which is an asymptomatic form of sickle cell disease, which primarily affects African Americans that restricts uh, the flow of oxygen to various parts of the brain. Um, but, you know, to be concluded here really is that the independent, you know, autopsy, the independent medical examiner concluded that death was because of a homicide, but because of that strangulation. But the Happen County medical examiner did conclude that death was also a homicide, but they differ on, you know, what caused it, um... You know, the medical examiner said that it was that cardiopulmonary arrest and that independent, you know, autopsy says that it was from, you know, being being strained, um, being strangulated. So it's definitely interesting, and I definitely think that it's going to be something to follow in the court case, um, especially because, you know, this will be very hard for the lawyers, you know, who are... Prosecuting, who are trying to get these officers behind bars to prove because these people are still police officers, right? They are public safety officers. And while they may not have acted in the interests of the public or the interests of who they're tasked with protecting, um, you know, there is going to be that inherent, you know, bias towards promoting the police just because that's what has been ingrained in everyone's mind since we were kids. Um, so I think that it's definitely something to, to follow, but about the drugs in his system and whether or not he was intoxicated, the attorney said for the family, Antino Ramanucci told CNN that whether or not he was intoxicated or had medications in his system is relevant to the cause of death, which is homicide, which is death by the hand of the other. The end result, which is George Floyd's death would not be any different. So to be clear, George Floyd did not die or did not have any complications, uh, you know, during his death from the drugs that he was on. So the last piece of news that we're going to touch on today um, is Trump's picture, photo opportunity, at St. John's Church in Washington, D.C. So basically what happened is during one of these huge protests, these huge demonstrations in Washington, D.C., um, during the riots, part of a church that has kind of a very historic church that has been, you know, beloved by presidents and Americans, really, um, part of that church had been burned. So he was, you know, going to see the damage and he was going to get a picture by the church, but when he was going to do that, he was going to require him to walk across, I guess, the street. Um, And what that caused was the police, right, to push back these protesters in a violent manner to make way for the president. So a lot of criticism criticism has come from that. You know, why did you want to walk across the street if you knew that protesters were going to have to be pushed out of the way, which, you know, would not only limit their ability to protest, but also harm to people, right? Because these protests, the majority of them were white, the majority of them were peaceful, were being pushed to the side violently, quickly, to make way for the president. And this demonstration at St. John's did, you know, most political analysis agree, did come with a clear political risk for Trump. Because Trump really is not known for sharing his faith, right? He, he wasn't really strong in his Christian values. And that doesn't do well for the Republican Party because a lot of Republican voters are those, you know, even though I, I, you know, may have different views as a Catholic on what the Bible stands for and what Jesus stood for, a lot of Christians do support the Republican Party. Um, and he really hasn't been strong in that, you know, with, with his faith, he said multiple times that he doesn't really need forgiveness, right? Which has always been a hallmark of the Christian faith that you always have to ask forgiveness, that we're humans, that we're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin and that's okay. As long as we admit our failings. Um, you know, and I I don't really think that he embodies the idea, you know, treat everyone like you want to be treated, but that's my opinion. Um, and I encourage you to find your own opinion yourself. But when he did this demonstration at St. John's, he literally went there. And I just Google St. John's Trump and you'll find a picture. He's holding a Bible. He didn't open a Bible. He didn't call for unity. He didn't read a Bible passage about the strength of humanity. He held a Bible with a mean-looking face in front of a picture, to, in front of a camera to take a picture in front of the church with his all-white staff. So that's something to think about. But it did come you know, with a clear political risk. Uh, He was in danger of prompting a backlash among his Christian supporters because he really did use the Bible as a prop, right? He didn't open it. He didn't read from it. um, And and he didn't offer a prayer, you know, for the cameras that had gathered around him. He did not mention that protesters and even some of St. John's clergy were pushed back, like I said, using tear gas and flashbangs ahead of his visit to make way for the president. Vice President Mike Pence, who is a staunch evangelical Christian, um, was not with President Trump when he made this appearance. Uh, the Episcopal Bishop of Washington, Marion Edgar Bubble, said that this was a charade, that this was wrong of President Trump. And some evangelical leaders have said that many in their community may see the move as a stunt that failed to address you know, racism, and it did really exploit religious symbolism. Um, a conservative evangelical pastor and author in Arizona, CNN reports, um, Costi Hin said that it, it said that Trump's action was tone deaf, um, and said that quote the word of God is not powerful in a picture; it's powerful when it's opened up. If you really want to leverage the power of God's word, let it you know, let it be heard. Uh, you know, President Donald Trump he walked out of the White House gates into and in, in, into this church, right? He strolled through this park, took him to the church, and there, after kind of threatening a little bit, you know, to um, to deploy the military like they talked about earlier, he created, you know, this really bad presidential visual. Um, you know, he didn't really say anything about, he didn't say Black Lives Matter. He didn't say anything about trying to unite the country. He didn't say anything about, you know, underlying racial tensions. And especially when you're given the opportunity, right, to go to this church to talk about what Jesus taught, right? And in my opinion, Jesus taught about promoting safety, but promoting equality, right? He, there's, there's a great Bible verse, right? N- neither Greek nor Jew, right? Neither male nor female, neither slave nor free. And that's been a hallmark of the Christian faith. And that's laced throughout the Bible, right? This idea that everyone should be treated equally and we should reach out to help those who aren't being treated equally. But he didn't recognize that, Um, you know, and he tweeted, right, that he has, quote, done more for the black community than any president since Abraham Lincoln, end quote. You know, I disagree with that. You know, I mean, I don't think he compares to Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves, um, you know, freed African-Americans who were slaves at the time. Donald Trump, you know, does not measure up to that, you know, American heroism, but I think that you know this picture really does encompass that he wants to be seen as a symbol of peace, and a symbol of not peace, but a symbol of strength, right? In a time of, you know, in, in a time where we are such a weak nation, right? We're suffering still from the coronavirus, from the economic impacts, from the loss of life, from the you know anxiety impacts, and then now we're we're not, you know, newly suffering from police brutality. That's always been a thing, police brutality and police racism, but you know, now we're suffering from these mass protests. And whether or not you participate in these protests or you disagree with these protesters, you know, this has taken a toll on our nation. And whether you agree that it's justified, whether to agree that it's not, you know, um, you know, Trump hasn't really been that president that we need him to. We need him to be a leader. We need him to try and unite us. We need him to try and, you know, to try and figure out, okay, you know is racism a problem in this country and how do we solve it you know, I, I can tell you it's a problem in this country but i you know i'm sure that some of my listeners don't believe that it is and if you don't believe that it is then i encourage you to check your privilege but if you don't believe that it is then you should encourage a study right into racism and into america's racism because maybe you could be proved right i don't think you will be but maybe you could be proved right but i encourage you to compare president trump Two great American figures, great American leaders, right? If this was another crisis, if this was World War II, would President Trump respond in the way FDR did? If this was the Great Depression, would President Trump respond in the way FDR did? If this was the Civil War, would President Trump respond in the way Abraham Lincoln did? If this was 9/11. If this was the economic crisis of 2008, If this was the War of 1812, would President Trump respond like those American patriots did? Like those American presidents did? How about when Reagan said, tear down that wall about the Berlin Wall? Is President Trump the same leader as Reagan was? How about Jimmy Carter? Would President Trump be able to handle the Bay of Pigs invasion the way Kennedy did? Think about that. Think about that when you go into the polls. But that has been your weekly update. Not your weekly update, I'm sorry. You're in focus for June 4th, 2020, here on Truth Be Told, and I'm glad that you could tune in. And I will talk to you later.